Hello, podcast listeners. I'm your host, Richard Lee, and welcome to the Ranger Outpost, where I'm going to take you to your friendly outpost where we go deep into people's unique lives that inspire me. Today, we'll be interviewing Chris Che. We will dive into his journey that starts with his love of writing, his aspirational journey to consulting, and how he pursued creating his own idea, Pixlick, and now Hyper Inbox. I watched the movie and I wrote up a review about it and I've shared on my Facebook and a couple of my friends thought that was really good. I didn't know that I was good at writing before then, but they told me that they were really inspired by the thoughts that I've written uh, for that movie. And that kind of motivated me into, you know, sharing more openly about my thoughts and just writing with all sorts of different topics. Chris Che is a Korean-American entrepreneur born in Chicago who lived in both Korea and the United States, has a background in strategy consulting, having both worked for IBM and Walmart. He started his own venture known as Hyper Inbox, a universal inbox app that connects with tools you already use to get through the day. He's also a prolific writer that fluently writes in both Korean and English. Chris uses cross-disciplinary skills to run his startup. Thank you, Chris, for coming on the show. Yeah, I'm excited to just to be here. and. Um, to give a background over myself, um, so I'm a co-founder of Hyper Inbox, which is a universal inbox app that collects all alerts, notifications, and messages from tools that you already use and allows you to collaborate with your team without switching back and forth between apps uh, just to communicate. We've been uh, building this product uh, over the last few months and um, we're a team based in, uh, all over the world. Uh, we're remote. Yeah. And previously prior to starting my own startup, I worked at, uh, Walmart and IBM as uh, strategy roles for a couple of years. And even before that, I, uh, went to university of Illinois. Very cool. Very cool. So, uh, as a Korean American, did you like grow up in the States, uh, or did you spend a lot more time overseas and tell us a little about that transition? Yeah, so um, I was born in the States and I've been living in the Midwestern area for the most of my life, namely in Chicago. As my parents moved out to South Korea for uh, their uh, career, uh, I followed them and lived in Seoul for a few years. But soon after, I uh, realized that I am more comfortable in living in the States and I, I really wanted to come back to the States. So mm-hmm. I've, I, I begged my parents to kind of let me live here alone, uh, with well, obviously with a legal guardian, essentially, uh, to have more prospects in my education and, mm-hmm. um, you know, just kind of build my life in the States. So, that, yeah, that's so cool. So it seems like you move, uh, you moved after living in Korea for a certain amount of years. Was that like during like middle school, high school? Yeah, so uh, it was uh, earlier stages of my child life. Um, oh. So like um, kindergarten and up to like a third or fourth uh, grade. Um, and then I came back here and I lived here. I, I lived in the Chicago area again for a few years. And I actually went back to Seoul. Um, oh, so you went like ping pong back and forth a little yeah, bit. Yeah, I ping pong backed uh, back and forth. Um and I spent another year in, in uh, living in Seoul during my middle school year. Ah. Uh, but, you know, like I said, soon after I really, re- like, I found out that, like, I belong um, more comfortably in the States. Mm. Um, so I asked parents to kind of move me. Back okay. To so, you, so you spent a lot of your formative years, like, in high school in the States. Um, yeah. So if, I, Back I, in I, Chicago, I, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, um most of my life, uh, I spent here in, in the Chicago area. Uh, if I were to count, I, I can't recall the exact amount of years uh, mm-hmm. that I spent in Seoul, but uh, it was probably around like four or five years total. Okay. So like, it's a good amount of time you're in, immersed in the culture. Yeah. <laughs> right. It, it's, it was enough time for me to understand uh, the Korean culture and the Korean language. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, you know, it was a good time to spend, you know, time, time, uh, good time to spend with my family, um, but also like um, you know to be really immersive about, immersive about you know uh, the Korean heritage and whatnot. Ah, that's so cool. Uh, before moving forward, I'm actually really curious. Is there like a specific mem- memory you remember of like living in Korea that you're like, 
oh, that's not going to happen in the States. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, so a, a lot of my memories uh, uh, are from the school uh, experience that I had in Korea. Um, as you may have uh, experienced it, uh, you know, Koreans are all about education and private education, mm-hmm. especially. And, you know, I just couldn't keep up with all that uh, um, fast paced education. And I just wanted, you know, an education that that I can really enjoy and mm-hmm. have more, you know, freedom around which classes I wanted to take and which uh, books I wanted to read or whatever. Um, but, but in Korea, I, I realized that I didn't, I, I had much less options as to what I wanted mm-hmm. to learn and what I wanted to engage in terms of education. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's far more regimented. Like I think I spent a summer, like I, I went, I personally went there every summer growing up. Mm-hmm. So I, I remember I visited my friends at like Taewon Wiggle. Oh, and they're yeah, like, yeah. And they're like, yeah, it's on, it's a school on top of a mountain, and we're here until yeah. nine o'clock every night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so you went from Korea to America, and like, what, what do you think is like the most drastic difference between that? I would say the amount of opportunity you have in the states um, is just greater than what mm-hmm. you will typically have in the state uh, in, in Korea. Um, and I'm just saying out of my experience and my uh, firsthand uh, perspective, you know, people can have different experiences or mm-hmm. whatever. Um, but for me, I definitely thought the you know, um, living in America, I, I would have more opportunities as to do the things I wanted to do and try mm-hmm. things without, you know, uh, fearing that I would ruin my life or mm-hmm. um, with thinking of yeah. like taking risks to like not doing anything and whatever so um that, that's such an american mentality <laughs> and I'm like, it's like yeah let's just do it let's go let's go for the sky and see what happens so it seems like you're yeah. like you, you have your fundamentals are like very much like influenced each other um so like sure. all right you graduated high school you're in the city uh-huh. of chicago almost like during this time um and then you go to college yeah yeah so actually it was a suburbs uh, area of chicago so um you know, not 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 exactly the downtown area, mm-hmm. but uh, I went to high school in the uh, uh, suburb suburban area of Chicago, and um, you know I got accepted to University of Illinois, which is located in the Urbana-Champaign, uh, which is about a two-hour or three-hour drive away from Chicago downtown area. Um, so I, I moved I moved to Champaign area, and I've spent my uh, college years there. I went to college, obviously. Uh, I studied <laughs> business. Oh, business. Um, yeah. And uh, <clears throat> it was great. I loved the, I loved every day uh, living in the campus, engaging with uh, other students, but also with professors, uh, you know, trying out different student projects. Um, I really l- enjoy the experience there. And uh, it was rather a, a good part of my life that mm-hmm. I always like, uh, think back to, um, and whenever I want to like, you know, enjoy, enjoy my memoirs. <laughs> as you write your <laughs> memoirs in the next five yeah. years. Um, like I've heard a lot of stories about Urbana Champagne. I think the, I think the meme that they a lot say is like, Hey, we're in, we're a school in the middle of a cornfield. It's the one I heard <laughs> of the most. And you're like, you're hours yeah. away from a city. Uh, so I think to balance off those stereotypes, what is like one really memorable story of your time there? as well as one more funny uh, memorable story that you could like go from oh. there. Yeah, I have, I actually have a good story about that, but uh, starting with uh, one memorable thing that I could take away from my college years is um, I've done a lot of consulting projects with uh, real life clients um, and university of Illinois is really famous for that. Um, so the, 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 the program name was Illinois business consulting. I've spent some time with the organization, uh, working with real clients, uh, on real projects. And mm-hmm. a lot of those experiences have transferred over to my pro- professional life. Um, thinking about, you know, how to best approach a problem and kind of structure, uh, my ideas mm-hmm. to a logical way so that, you know, it's, it's more presentable and more professional and mm-hmm. whatnot. Um, I, I really enjoy the experience, um, and I've learned a lot from it. I always, uh, and, and from that experience, I always like suggest my, uh, friends or, you know, my younger self 
try those experiences um, whenever they uh, have the opportunity. Uh, about the funny experience, um, so during my freshman year, I it was a spring break time, and um, you know, as with most college campuses, during you know spring break or winter break, um, it's like a ghost town, right? So mm-hmm. um, it was like me and my uh, two other friends uh, just left and uh, just staying campus, um, and we we would play you know basketball every day, and th- uh, it was the day before the school began. Uh, right after the spring break my friend calls up calls up to you know invite me to you know whatever a, a scrimmage game and he's urging me to come up uh, uh, come down fast and out of my mind like i thought like i need to be you know just like there or like you're like oh what's the worst thing that could happen yeah yeah <laughs> Uh, I was just rushing through uh, like my clothing and like mm-hmm. uh, and just trying to get ready for, and because since since my friends are just waiting down there, and mm-hmm. for some reason I don't even know why, um, I hung a couple of my clothing to the sprinkler that was affixed to the wall, uh-huh. not the ceiling. Uh, for oh. some buildings, like they have like on the side instead of on the, the side the top instead side. of the ceiling. Yeah. Um, for some reason, I don't even know why. I I hung some. Uh, I hung my t-shirt and my hoodie. And since I was in a rush, mm-hmm. I, for some reason, and this is just stupidity of me, but <laughs> I decided to pull those uh, clothing out just, of the hanger. Just rip it off the wall yeah. pretty much. <laughs> and next thing I know is water, just like gallons of water just pouring out from the sprinkler. Oh my goodness. And the emergency ring, the it goes off. And next thing I know is there's like three fire trucks outside the window and like two ambulances. Oh my goodness. Uh, and this water wouldn't just stop. It would just, mm-hmm. it, it just keeps pouring out. And later I found out that, you know, a sprinkler would pour out like, I, I, I forget the exact number, but like up to like 40 gallons a minute. Mm-hmm. Um, because so it's still out of water. Yeah, because their job is like, oh, wait, there's a fire. We have to get rid of it <laughs> immediately. So yeah. let's just dump everything at once. Did yeah. this affect the entire building or was oh, it yeah. just your room? So, so you ruined a lot of lives, not just yours. Yeah. So, but but for, uh, fortunately, it was mm-hmm. spring break. So okay. uh, about like a quarter of the, uh, the residence was uh, vacant. Mm-hmm. But since uh, since it, the, the sprinkler you know poured out so mm-hmm. much water, it kind of flooded the entire floor. Oh, wow. Um, was, I feel like this. I feel like the flooring's cor- carpet at this point. Yeah. It was carpet, of course. <laughs> it was carpet. <laughs> And and it, it, those water would just uh, trickle down and all the way to the first floor. So mm-hmm. I was living in the seventh uh, floor, and all the unit that uh, had the same number as mine uh, for for the entire uh, building. Mm-hmm. Uh, so for, from floor one to seven, I would flood the int- uh, every single unit underneath my. So uh, you flooded the entire building, not just the floor, exactly. not just the room. Yeah. All <laughs> seven floors got a yeah. very nice car wash. In the yeah, entire, and, and entire I would room. remember like my Xbox is floating around. Oh, uh, floating! <laughs> everything was flo- <laughs> it was that that much water that everything was floating. Yeah, like nothing, nothing was untouched. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty bad. And I, and it, and I don't know. Like I I tried to like even stop it with mm. my bare hands. Oh, <laughs> uh, it's it's that like uh what like I could stop something moment. Yeah, <laughs> it was pretty bad. And um. Yeah, at the end of the day, like I had to pay what, like almost like twenty thousand dollars in damages to to the the dorm room uh, housing um, organization. Really? really? I I feel yeah. like they would have like student like clearly going to mess up something yeah. insurance. Like like we're going to break things. Yeah, That's no. just what universities <laughs> do. They charged yeah, you. But, yeah, but but luckily my mother had some kind of a a insurance that I had no knowledge of. Um, <laughs> that she had uh, purchased a few years back, just trying to, you know, look out for whatever that I'm going to do in the next next year, something like uh, breaking into, uh, breaking out a sprinkler or whatever. But luckily that, so she remembered that. So mm-hmm. we called our insurance, so like personal insurance uh, company, um, and they came out and they've assessed the damages and they, they were able to pay most of the- I, I've never heard of such insurance that like, saves, bill, yeah. sa- like saves your butt insurance it sounds like you're it's like like break when needed save your butt insurance it's like yeah. written on the wall somewhere yeah, <laughs> but yeah. that's that's an amazing that's an amazing story so it looks like 
you had the highs and lows. Yeah, you got that clean consulting gig. It's professional, and then you also <laughs> flooded seven stories of a building. Yeah, it was uh, it was so so fresh enough, freshman of me. Um, uh, <laughs> it's I a funny I'm, experience. It's a funny mm-hmm. story to tell at this point, but it's it was in hindsight. Everything in everything in hindsight. Yeah. <laughs> pretty bad in uh, in real time oh that's okay i think we learn from our lessons in that sense um yeah. and like we may or may not do that again i, I think that's the fun hopefully. part of it Ho- hopefully not hopefully not <laughs> i wonder if the insurance covers it again if you do it again uh, did, did you buy everyone in that building like a cookie or something um, to make it feel yeah, a little better <laughs> so I, I did apologize for the people who we're currently there. We're currently there. Um, and um, yeah, and um, I was kind of like, like the, the school word, uh, the word got out and mm-hmm. I've, I've emerged as like the Asian Poseidon. Oh um, my goodness. I, 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 <laughs> now you're a school myth of the one who floods buildings. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good They would have some like uh, school memes that uh, I, I'll, I'll share it to you after the, after the call. So, so you're um, famous on, on campus still for flooding the area. Yeah, I'm pretty legendary. That- <laughs> That's that's one way to become legendary. That's awesome. <laughs> uh, that's so cool. So it looks like you have progressed and matured over your years in college and university. Mm-hmm. So um, as you're like leaving the university, like leaving the cornfields, uh, yeah. what was your like first few thoughts as, like, as you were like graduating and like moving on to your next step? Yeah. So during my senior year, I uh, was fortunate to get a uh, consulting gig right out of college to work for IBM. And um, I joined their consulting practice right after I graduated. So like uh, going into the professional world, I was, you know, prepared. I was ready. Um, I was, I couldn't be more excited to, to, to you know, do the things that I love, uh, which mm-hmm. is problem solving, which is, you know, going through the notion of consulting uh, for a couple of years. And that was really, you know, uh, my dream job. Mm-hmm. And I was so excited. And, um, you know, I, I recall being, just being excited every day after I, uh, I got my offer letter from my BM. Uh, so you like, you remember opening that offer letter and be like, Oh yes, here's the salary you'll be making. <laughs> uh, here's this wonderful location that you'll be working at yep, and yep. come join us. So did you have that summer before work experience or uh, did you no. just start immediately? Yes. Yeah, so I started immediately. Um, so I graduated in December, not, uh, in, that's how I, ah. I, I, I had another semester. Mm-hmm. Um, so I graduated December. So I joined IBM right after I joined IBM in, in mm-hmm. February, I, if I remember correctly. Oh, so pretty, pretty, like pretty soon, like about a month time. Yeah, so about a month. Um, so I just spent time with my friends and my family for, for that month. Um, but you know, rather I, I, I wanted to, you know, dive deep right away. So cool. So like, it seems like you worked there for about a year and then you hop onto your next opportunity. So uh, tell us a little about like your first few, like say days, months on the yeah. job. Yeah. So I worked with IBM for close to two years, actually. Oh, wow. Um, they had us to go with like this uh, consulting training, new hire training for a few weeks. And then I would get uh, assignments from my uh, managing partners to join uh, several projects. And one of them mm-hmm. um, was in uh, a technology implementation for a large uh, pharmacy retailer. When I joined that project, uh, mm-hmm. I realized that you know, this wasn't what I signed up for, mm-hmm. uh, where uh, technology consulting um, is more of hands-on, uh, very like- uh, Was it tedious? <laughs> Very tedious work. Very tedious, um, but it is it is valuable? Um, mm-hmm. You know, a lot of technology imp- implementations fail because of the lack of detailed orientation or mm-hmm. uh, lack of sophistication. So, um, you know, it was, it was definitely valuable work. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, going into consulting right out of college, mm. my imagination of consulting would be like boardroom talk. <laughs> Board, sorry, boardroom talk. Um, you know, consulting, like the, like the drama series. Yeah. Everyone's wearing ties. You're on the highlighters. Like the CEO <laughs> puts you on the jet with him. You're eating yeah, expensive yeah. meals every night. Yeah. That was pretty much my like imagination, <laughs> um, going into consulting work. Um, but mm-hmm. soon after I realized that's not the case for it, especially in technology consulting, I've actually like talked to my leadership about this 
Um, I was just forthright. Like, uh, this wasn't what I signed up for. I, mm-hmm. I really enjoy the work, uh, to the point where like, it, this is doable, but mm-hmm. at the end of the day, like I wanted to, you know, do more strategy work, do mm-hmm. more, uh, more business oriented versus, mm-hmm. uh, more tech technology. Mm-hmm. Uh, I moved places. Uh, so I switched my practice to digital strategy, um, right after that project. Oh, wow. I worked, um, as a strategy consultant for the rest of my time with IBM. And, you know, still, it wasn't like that boardroom talk or whatever. Um, It wasn't that, you know, per se, but it was, it was really good experience. I got to learn more about, you know, how strategy can play, uh, you know, it's, 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 uh, it's role um, for these clients and how I can add value as a junior consultant um, researching on different things, uh, researching on markets, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, or, or business models that could help potentially help our clients. Mm-hmm. So like well, a lot of research, but it seems like you've gone to the fundamentals of research and strategy. Yeah. Yeah. So fundamentals of research, um, as a junior consultant, you wouldn't, you wouldn't necessarily like be able to sit at the table with your client one to one, but, um, still like it was, yeah, it was an amazing uh, experience for me to learn at, at that, uh, early point of, of my career. So yeah, that, that sounds awesome. It seems like you got like a coin flip of the two experiences, like the technical, um, as well as like the, like the almost boardroom talks that you want to get to with researching <laughs> in it. So and to be honest, like, I don't even think my partners would have uh, experienced those boardroom talks. <laughs> really? Um, Cause like uh, those boardroom talks really happen in, in closed doors. So like, uh, so it's completely you know, off the record. Like, yeah. it's like, this is after 9 PM, there's a cigar and like you, you go home to your hotel and they have your yeah, I don't conversation. Even know. Like I've never experienced that before. <laughs> Everything so. here is dramatized for, for <laughs> entertainment. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so like, okay, seems like you've done your two years of IBM and uh-huh. then you're moving on. Like you've, yep. you've done your, you've done your fill. What decided you to move on? Like, what was the reason why? And like, what, what was the next step? Yeah. So, uh, the reason I chose to, you know, work with, uh, work, go work for Walmart was because I wanted to learn, uh, more about how Walmart engages in their business through, you know, some of their, some of their unique, uh, strengths, which are like, uh, scale of economies. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, how do, how would they, I, I was just always fascinated about the scale they operate under, um, you know, how much budget they have and how many mm-hmm. stores they have. It was just, you know, such a fascinating topic to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were the verge of like, uh, competing with Amazon. Um, they were trying to think of ways and strategies to, to, uh, really compete effectively with Amazon. You think about like a couple of years back, uh, when Amazon was, you know, this emerging, um, retail King, um, yeah. as opposed to like Walmart is more like a dinosaur at that point. Yeah. They're like, Oh, um, your local, your local Walmart that has everything and anything. Yeah. For small it's towns. <laughs> it's, yes. They, that's their branding. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, they were really, you know, desperate about, you know, coming up with, uh, you know, fresh ideas and fresh perspectives on how to compete with Amazon. And, um, I thought I would be able to really add value to that, uh, that challenge. So I decided to join their, uh, uh Walmart us team, uh, under real estate strategy. And I joined as a strategy manager and mm-hmm. I worked there for a close to a year. Oh, wow. So I know, I know you can't tell us a lot of details uh, on that. So can you tell us a story about your time there? Yeah. Um, so uh, a lot of the projects that I've managed were about, you know, how do you reduce cost? How do you, you know, uh, maintain good balance of profitability? How do you make our customers' lives easier, our operators' lives uh, much easier? Um, all the questions that I was uh, assigned to answer answer was uh, those questions. Mm-hmm. One of the first projects that I did was what well, EDLC project, which is, was like, uh, EDLC is, uh, Walmart's mantra of, uh, everyday low cost. And I would just like go and find opportunities where Walmart can save money without investing too much into deploying their resource. Yeah. So you're essentially bounty hunting for like, what can we like cut off and like make more yeah. out of it, right? That's yeah. it's like, let, let cut a little bit and make a little bit more. So like, these are like yeah. small, low scale, like type yeah, of projects. You would projects. squeeze the margins and mm-hmm. like, and like the, the cool thing about that project was like, I was able to move from places within Walmart, like just talk to like 
all sorts of different departments at Walmart. Uh, at one point, I even talked to the weather weather folks. And it's surprising that Walmart has its own like weather station. Um, and they, they own the stations. Yeah, and they would <laughs> their full time job. Their team's full time job is to forecast like hurricanes and and analyze its, its economic impact to Walmart mm-hmm. stores. Um, which is pretty important. Like if you think about how, how, uh, right, how, Walmart, how it affects like transportation logistics. Yeah. yeah. So like I, I would talk to the head of the, uh, whether I forget, I, I, I can't recall the exact team name, but, mm-hmm. um, I would talk to the person who's in charge of that and like ask ways about like, how do we save by controlling, you know, water systems or, mm-hmm. um, controlling or, or, or better forecasting weather or whatever. Um, like these questions, like, are necessarily relevant to the job that I'm doing right now, but it mm-hmm. was definitely an enjoyable experience. I, I've learned yeah. a lot from a different perspective and it was cool. That's awesome. So it looks like you learn you learn a lot of unexpected lessons, like like hey, forecasting. Um, <laughs> I, I really hope you told them you're also known as the Asian Poseidon. <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel like they would have enjoyed that a little bit. Um, so it looks like you've done your 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 uh, your uh, rotations in corporate, mm-hmm. um, and then you're like, okay, this, this is my next big step. Yeah. Right. During uh, during my time at Walmart, I started to think about um, I wanted to start my own startup, and a strong motivator of that was, um, the fact that, you know, even if I, you know, um, even if I do well, um, Mm -hmm. in terms of the job that I have at Walmart, it will be Walmart's, uh, it it will be for the good of Walmart, not for the good of, you know, Mm -hmm. my business. Um, and that triggered me into thinking about, you know, you know, am I ready for uh, starting a startup or, mm. um, what kinds of ideas do I want to pursue mm. and who do I want to, who, who, who will I want to like partner with, uh, to start this thing? Um, so I, I started to like look around my, uh, network and start to explore different things. So like during the later part of my Walmart experience, like, during the day, I would work at Walmart from nine to five, and after five p.m., like that would be like all of my time spent mm-hmm. into uh, my potential startup. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I spent like a, a good three, four months doing that, um, just exploring, um, you know, pure research, uh, networking, mm-hmm. um, writing stuff as well, um, just to consolidate my thoughts and um, share ideas to to my friends or whatever. Yeah, like I, I think I think that was a really interesting aspect that really popped up to me specifically. Mm-hmm. Was like at, working in strategy. I, I know a lot of young professionals that don't write a lot, or they that most tweets. Um, yeah. <laughs> so you you have a knack for writing. Um, I, I've seen a lot of your early posts on like the public content publisher. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, like, what was a lot of your writing about early on? Like, it seems like you're trying to discover your voice and yeah, all that. Yeah, so um, I started writing uh, publicly um, in, during college. So it's, I think uh, I was like 2014, 2015-ish time period where I first uh, purchased my domain. Um, it was a different domain uh, back then, but uh, first time purchasing a domain with a WordPress blog and setting up to, for me to write. And one of the reasons why I did that was because uh, one time, like I wrote up about, so I, I, I watched a movie. Uh, I can't recall what it is, but like I watched the movie and I wrote up a review about it and I sh- mm-hmm. I've shared it on my Facebook. And a couple of my friends thought that was really good. I didn't know that I was good at writing before then, but they told me that they were really inspired by the thoughts that I have written uh, for that movie. Mm-hmm. And that kind of motivated me into, you know, sharing more openly about my thoughts and just writing with different, all sorts of different topics. So I've, I've been writing since then, like 2014, 2015-ish, uh, predominantly in Korean at first, um, oh, in, wow. in the Korean language. And think, I think like during my time at IBM, I've written a, a, an analysis about a startup in South Korea um, and that kind of just like explosive. Really? Um, yeah, it just exploded across the startup community and in, in the startup uh, in, in South Korea. Um, people were just like sharing my article, uh, asking like, uh, and sharing their thoughts as well. And that experience, like, uh, people enjoying my reading, people enjoying my analysis, that was very exciting to me. 
So I, I kept writing. I um, later that year I received an offer from Publi, which is like a content premium content publisher in South Korea, to partner with them to you know come up with uh, different publications. So I've I've been writing with them since 2017. With our startup right now, I'm you know writing most of my most of our blogs and mm-hmm. uh, most of our thought thought leadership and whatnot. Yeah, I think <laughs> writing is a good part of my job. Yeah, that I I think that's such a un unseen and un like super like romanticized part of a startup job. So yeah. I, I think I think that that's really fascinating. That like that was a big push that I, I did see from you. Mm-hmm. Um, and you mentioned you started writing in Korean. Yeah, and then you also write in English. Um, and there's also like a book I read recently. Uh, it's called in English. It's called The Temperature of Language. Like it's a mm. Korean book. Um, it's all about like how Korean and English is so different, or like just Korean is such a very specific language. Yeah. So what would you say is like it's so diff is different between writing in Korean as well as writing in English, and like what uh, would like key features be? Yeah, uh, I think th- there's definitely a certain difference that I feel uh, personally. Um, when I'm writing in Korean, I get to be more conservative, if that makes sense. Um, where like my writing is more. Uh, more structured and it's more like it appeals to logic more than emotions really uh yeah for some reason like i would write more logically and more in, in a more rhetorical sense uh and maybe that that's because like the experience that i have with korean language um most of them are from conservative books so like business books economics uh, books so you learn like fundamental um, like like it sounds like you're like reading law review books in Korean. So <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Like I would read like history history of uh, you know Korean law firms um, in Korean language. That, were you in middle school and you're reading this, or was this like yeah, late, yeah, late? Yeah, yeah. this is middle uh, school? In middle school, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I would read like history of uh, Korean law firms or mm-hmm. like history of M and A or like private equity. Um, those, this like, is middle school again. Stuff. Middle school and high school. Um, <laughs> I'm just imagining you like just like coming home from school. I'm like, all right, nothing like <laughs> MNA legal requirements in seventh Not grade. Not that I understood those concepts. It's just like mm. it was just fascinating just to read them. That, right? That's so cool so, to hear. Um, yeah, maybe like I, maybe that's why like I write so like uh, strictly uh, like mm-hmm. in terms of like the, the style that I have in, in in Korean. But whereas like in English. I get to be more uh, emotional, uh, and I get to use more of plain language. And I think like my writing in English is more—it has that more narrative sense than more logical sense, where I get to like unbundle those complex stuff and just kind of talk it out. Mm. Um, so like, there's a notion of like you need to write like you talk, mm. um, and that's very applicable to me in, when I'm writing in English. Um, wow, that that is that is not what I expected at all. I, I thought it'd be the yeah. opposite. I thought it'd be Korean really? would be like super emotional, like K-pop drama, like <laughs> like dialogue. Like I can't live without you. That, that, I, <laughs> that type of thing. I really think it's because like the books that I've read that inspired mm. me to write were uh, really different. So in Korean, mm. like like I said, uh, I wrote I, I read a lot of those like logic oriented books business books or research books or whatever. Um, but in English, I read a lot of novels and I read a lot mm. of, uh, so I went through the high school experience. So like I, I would read those, uh, you know, prerequisite readings, right? Like 1984, Animal Farm, The Great Gatsby or whatever. And all those different like books that you would go through during mm. your high school the, years. The have very coming really, of age books. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, like it seems like there is such a difference but like connecting point between your writing skills mm-hmm. um so it seems like this was now pushing you towards like creating this new startup so tell us a little about like starting the startup like the struggles the fun yeah um so it's definitely a lot of fun and i am every uh, i get to learn new things every day it's just it's just a great experience to have um for anyone regardless of their their stages in their career it's been a quite a journey so far, and I'm just looking forward to what I'm going to be able to experience uh, mm-hmm. down the road. Uh, so our startup started in early 2019. So that's when I quit Walmart 
do this full-time with my mm -hmm. co-founders. So we started with an idea of a marketplace where we would connect uh, South Korean designers with U.S. clients. And we would provide a software for people, uh, for the clients to manage uh, those outsourced designers and have like an asset uh, management feature where you could, you know, organize all these different designs coming in from your outs outsourced designers and have just more streamlined outsourcing operation for uh, the design work. But we quickly pivoted away from that for finding out that like that it's not scalable for us to pursue. Uh, so we pivoted to uh, providing that software, that exact software, but not, like moving away from the marketplace idea, mm -hmm. um, which is more scalable technically. So we pursued that graphic design solution for a few months. And we click, we again, like we quickly found out that, you know, graphic design isn't a growing market, but product design is. So digital product, UX, UI design is something that even graphic designers are looking to learn mm -hmm. more about. So after learning about like these insights within the market that we're playing in, we decided to switch another switch one more time to become a product design collaboration software, which uh, is Pixelic. So we pursued that for seven months, eight, seven, eight months. Can't be too sure, but seven, eight months. And we've gotten to the point where we had about uh, 800 uh, users from like a couple hundred teams. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. And well, the whole idea was about integrating with the design tools that designers use and more generic tools uh, that most people use in their workplaces like Slack and email and connecting them together so that designers don't have to leave their uh, designer tool mm -hmm. and the stakeholders don't have to leave their comfortable tools like Slack uh, mm -hmm. to communicate and collaborate with each other. Yeah. But we, we realized that when since the uh, coronavirus pandemic hit, the, the problem of remote communication, remote collaboration isn't really specific to the design collaboration. It was more broad. It was broader than that. Mm -hmm. um, so we decided to scope out uh, and zoom out a bit and target a broader but more specific need, which is having a platform where you could collect all these different uh, communication sources like design, development, HR, task, or whatever. And these all these different uh, sources would consolidate into our app and you could open up threads and uh, communicate and collaborate with your team without mm -hmm. switching back and forth between your apps uh, just to you know collaborate. Yeah. yeah, so it seems like it's a... Uh, to round it out, like a holistic approach to all task management, regardless of like the uh, industry you're in and having communication have as least amount of friction. Yeah. So if you think about how most teams work today, um, you would use at least like two to three different tools to uh, go through your day. So, you know, you would use Google, Google Drive or Dropbox. You would use Slack or Microsoft Teams, or you would use like Jira or Trello to handle all these different tasks, communication and files. Uh, currently, most people, what they do is they would move from uh, Dropbox to, you know, Jira to Notion and Slack, and mm -hmm. you would just move back and forth uh, to get updates and to update with each other on different tasks and different things that you want to communicate uh, in, at work. But the, the cost you pay of, for, for doing that is the, the switching cost is the cognitive friction that you have every time you switch between different apps. We wanted, we, we thought that that creates a lot of inefficiency in terms of productivity for mm. especially for remote teams because if you're if you're just sitting next to each other you could just like grab their shoulder and just talk it out mm -hmm. but in, in a remote setting and that's just you know really difficult to do you can't just ping someone and be and expect that person to be responsive immediately mm -hmm. um, so you want to have more uh, structured and organized way of communicating with each other um, and we thought that that could be scalable and Especially with the now with the pandemic, there are just more opportunities for us to uh, grow this product out uh, to the market. Well, that's really interesting, and like it seems like it's perfect timing um, in a lot of ways. Uh, and and I think the future of work is always going to continue to grow. Mm -hmm. I, I, that's that's just a trend we've been seeing uh, for a while. So I, I I would love to know some of your insights that you got or stories that you got from talking to these teams that work remotely, like yeah. let's to start it off. Let's start with like a funny story that you heard from like a remote team to like something a little more serious. Let me think. Um, so one thing that I learned that we learned as a team is that 
the problems that te- these teams have, it doesn't matter whether you're a Silicon Valley team or um, a team in South Korea or a team in uh, Belgium or a team in, in Africa. The problems that you're experiencing uh, trying to manage remote collaboration, you know, uh, it's not bound by geography. Uh, meaning like uh, we always thought that Silicon Valley teams would have some sort of magic trick or some sort of magical operation mm-hmm. where like no other uh, companies would be able to replicate. Um, and like maybe that's like the hidden uh, secrets as to their mm-hmm. success. Um, but we, w- w- after spending some time with them, we were able to find out like they were going through a similar, you know, obstacles and like sim- similar challenges of trying to, bring everyone to the same page and trying to, you know, get through the day, trying to align with everyone and really be tired of that, um, be, really be frustrated about it. Mm-hmm. So like, oh, knowing that you know, even Silicon Valley teams are uh, struggling to do this, there may be some opportunities as we could solve for not only just Silicon Valley teams, but the teams like mm-hmm. us, like we're uh, working remotely from mm-hmm. different countries and whatnot. And you know, I think that that has been pretty surprising to me that it's, it's this isn't just about, you know, mm-hmm. distributed like remote teams or. Yeah, it's not that super like logistical chain, like, hey, we're gonna make this thing a little more efficient. Yeah. Uh, but rather actual like real practical value that you could see on like people's faces. And we're like, oh, we're smiling a little bit. Yeah, yeah. You know, that, that has been a learning point for us. Mm-hmm. Another one is that, oh, in South Korea, a lot of teams have never experienced working remotely before. Really? And, yeah, surprisingly. And now that the pandemic hit, they were kind of forced to do so. Mm-hmm. But they were in panic mode where like they didn't know how to work efficiently in terms of remote environments. So they would enforce these weird rules for employees to, to comply. So okay. the Kore- yeah. so the Korean companies were using like ad hoc ways to put these things together. So like, what were some like stories that you heard like of them putting that together? Yeah, uh, one of them. So one of the stories that we've heard from our, our users was that their employer would have their employees install these uh, monitoring system in their workstations um, that monitors like your mouse tracking or like mouse movements. Mm-hmm. Um, and if the, if your mouse didn't move for like more than 10 minutes, then mm-hmm. like you're automatically considered like you're, you're slacking off and you know, you're not doing your job. This um, sounds dystopian a little bit. Yeah. But- <laughs> <laughs> so there is certain distrust among remote, in remote environments. Mm-hmm. Um, which was pretty surprising to me that, you know, South Korea is kind of known for that IT, mm-hmm. you know, enhanced IT and to our, to our surprise, you know, that wasn't really the case in terms of embracing, really embracing the remote environment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it's, it's, it's really interesting to see Eastern cultures. Like when I was in Japan, they're like, you're technologically, technically very advanced, mm-hmm. but there's a lot of like conservative, uh, like approaches to a lot of like these workforce things. So it's like, it's, it's pretty much technology and culture like constantly hit each other yeah yeah it, like i've also heard like uh, some companies enforce this rule like slack rule where like if you aren't replying to uh the message within 10 minutes then you're also like uh, considered like you're not doing your work so, oh like, my it, goodness it, you, you you will have like this uh performance issue yeah and some of those like stories that we've heard from these employees was really like uh, it was really tough to hear like uh, Korea, supposedly, you know, one of the best countries leading IT and mm-hmm. you know, doing its best work with digital stuff and technology. But uh, still, the working culture isn't as flexible mm-hmm. as it should be. So do you think like working in the offices helped us get to this point or was it something at the end of the day that took that's more of a uh, handicap for us? For the US or? Uh, for uh, Korea, South Korea. Uh, for South Korea. Um, I don't know. Uh, to be quite honest, I've never, you know, experienced professional life others outside of uh, other than my three month internship that I had mm-hmm. um, during college in a South Korean company. Um, you know, I I wouldn't know otherwise, but like mm-hmm. I would only speculate that um, since a lot of the companies in South Korea have grown to be like that family oriented businesses or mm-hmm. companies, like they want to enforce that family like uh, culture mm-hmm. in a bad way. Like uh, uh, not in like, not in a loving way, but more in like, you like know, the you, strict stoic father. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's really interesting. And like, it looks like your company's a 
your startup is approaching this problem like head on and like and you clear there's clearly a need for it uh so mm-hmm. what are what are your current next steps uh for uh pixelic or is it hyper inbox now yeah so hyper inbox uh pixelic is still operational but we mm-hmm. are uh in the transitional period to um you know rebrand the product and uh and relaunching uh with a new name and with a new mm-hmm. uh, feature set and whatnot so hyper inbox hyper inbox okay um, yeah the next step for us is to um, really dive deep into you know, implementing that into our product and testing it out and making sure that like, so that we would have a uh, product market fit. Um, that mm-hmm. would be our immediate uh, goal looking, looking up to. Oh, wow. So like, so the current goal right now is to get to product market fit within with this new model of like, instead of just graphic design, Mm-hmm. Uh, let's hit the other markets a little bit more. So it seems like you're taking on a bigger, bigger giant. Uh, so that is incredible. I, number one and number two, uh, is your strategy the same way as how you approach Pixelic, or is it going to be a little different? Yeah, it, it's going to be a little different. Um, with Pixelic, we would have like really niche, specific, specifically defined target audience, which are designers. Mm-hmm. Um, but with hyper inbox, it's broader than just designers. So we're mm-hmm. going to target product teams as uh, so a product teams, meaning like digital software teams mm-hmm. that are building software. Um, so developers, designers, product managers, and product marketers. So oh, those, wow. uh, those teams would be our primary target. Um, in terms of the strategy goes, we're still taking the con- same concept that we've implemented in, in Pixelic, which is mm-hmm. like uh, the notion of like, you wouldn't have to leave your own tool to communicate with other counterparts. Mm-hmm. Um, so like we're going to put more emphasis into deep integrations with uh, the other apps that you already use, like Figma, Slack, email, Jira, Trello, all the major popular tools that mm-hmm. you're using today. We will be doing the same thing, um, essentially, mm-hmm. but at a broader scope. Oh wow, I, that that seems fascinating from like a logistical standpoint, but also like a creative standpoint. So, mm-hmm. as you're reaching like this massive pivotal moment, everything from like going from the states to Korea and back and forth again, and back and forth again, and then like university to corporate to now, what are like three three big things you've learned along the way that you want to share with our uh, listeners? Does it does it have to be three? <laughs> Uh, well, I'll, I can try. I can try okay. to come up with uh, perfect three learning mm-hmm. learning points. Um, but something that really comes up into my mind every time that I, if I think of like, what have I learned so far? Well, my, well, my first lesson so far that I've learned is to play long-term games with long-term people. Um, that's something that I've uh, realized through my experience, you know, on my startup. Um, as with anything in life, um, you know, things compound over long run or over long time and they have greater value in the long run. And it's obviously applied to, you know, financial investments, but also in relationships. The longer you work with uh, the same people, uh, the better you'll know each other. Um, the the amount of trust you'll have in that relationship will, will be far more greater than than whenever you're switching, you know, your teammates every now and then, right? Mm-hmm. So the key to success is definitely going to be playing long-term games with long-term people. And I've gotten this idea from uh, one of the people that I really respect, who is uh, Naval, uh, Naval Rabicat, uh, who is the co-founder of Angelist. And he's uh, very famous for sharing his thoughts and ideas about like these different things. And one of his greatest ideas is to play long-term games with long-term people. And I think he's, mm. he's done it. He's, he's immense amount of success through playing, playing long-term mm. games with long-term people. So, you know, I think that's, that's one big lesson that I've earned so far. And let me try to think another one. Yeah, two would be great if you could get solid two. Another lesson is that you want to be able to say the hard things. And a lot of times it's it's really easy to just like think, oh, forget about this. Like, uh, let's just let's just move on. And maybe like uh, we can come back to this later on. But if you don't say those things, um, it piles up at a much faster rate than you would expect. And if it's something that kind of bugs you, but you know, it's not devastating, but you still want to say those things so that you could get ahead of it and you could get over it as, as quick as possible. And one good example is like giving candid feedback with your teammates. As long as it's not like 
as long as it doesn't come out in the form of like a very um, mean or like uh, jerk ish way, mm-hmm. um, you want to be able to communicate with uh, your feedback very trans in, in a very transparent manner and very you want to like structure those in, in a very constructive manner. Mm-hmm. If you can't say those hard things uh, and difficult things, it's really going to be risky in the long run. Mm. And that could really take a toll on your startup. Mm. So like, those are some like tactical logistics that that's awesome. Those are, I think that's the thing that a lot of startup people need to hear is like, get, get rid of the hard things real fast. Yeah. So as a replacement for the third advice, <laughs> what, what is a, what is currently a book uh, or article or person that you follow? Preferably book uh, that you're yeah. currently reading or have read that you, you really helped you or inspired you. And because you're such a writer, I would like to know where you is. Yeah. So one of my like best books that I've read in my life was Skin in the Game by uh, Nassim Taleb. And this book is about he's one of the uh, renowned philosophers of modern day capitalism and uh, modern day society. And this, the book is about, you know, how to think about different concepts, um, but also the, really just to how to live your life. It's given me a really valuable pieces of information that helped me to understand different uh, situations and to help me to understand different concepts, but helped me to think about, you know, different things in a really rational way. Uh, so for example, I guess the reason why you need to start a startup is because you want freedom of operation. You know, freedom is a valuable thing and you can't earn it without, you know, paying the, the price of uh, risking your name, risking your reputation and risking your, your time and all that to be successful. And mm. because of that risk, you are going to perform at the highest level you can ever perform, which um, in his book, he calls it skin in the game. And I really fell in love with that idea. And I strive to, you know, live and run my startup in in the same manner that he's recommended in his book. It's it's given me a lot of good lessons over over the course of the past past year that I read about his book. That is so cool. And I I will make sure to share that with our viewers. We are now at the end of the podcast. Thank you so much, Chris, uh, for joining in. Are there any last messages you want you want to uh, let the viewers know? Any shout outs that you're currently working on? Yeah. Uh, well, thank you so much, Richard, uh, for having me here. And I really enjoy the conversation. I really enjoyed it um, to the point where like, I even forgot about where we're recording. Um, <laughs> that's it was that's the like, goal. You know, yeah, very, very casual conversation. Um, I love... Uh, you know, talking about my ideas, but also um, I look forward to, you know, hearing back from your uh, viewers or, or listeners uh, mm-hmm. on, on my ideas. And, um, and that could help me to, you know, uh, improve myself on different things. So looking forward to that. Um, the best way to reach uh, me is to um, go to Twitter and type up uh, Chris Che uh, and you will see my profile. At the Chris, uh, okay. Chris underscore is it the Chris underscore Che? Yeah, underscore underscore Chris Che. Yeah, Sorry. so it's underscore yeah. Chris Che. Okay, we'll make sure to get yeah. the right Chris Che as we go along. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Chris, uh, or and our listeners. We'll be hearing from us very soon about the beautiful voice that you have done on this podcast. Thank you so much for listening to the episode of the Ranger Outpost. We would love to hear from you, so send us your comments and feedback to at ranger underscore outpost on Instagram, as well as we set up our official website and email address. Thank you so much for listening in.